Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Every time I eat Mexican food, I'm happy. (laughs) Eva Longoria is branching out from acting to exploring and eating in a new CNN series. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, more salsa! It's her latest adventure in a long career that started on soap operas. You think you know me so well. Before breaking out and becoming a desperate housewife. I'm not ill, I'm just not wearing any makeup. Now, and action! Behind the camera, Longoria is producing and directing her first feature film, while staying passionate about politics. America is better than this. And in her 40s, she's also become a mom. We have two things in common. Do I get a hint? I find cooking really hard. I find it really stressful. Do you feel your life is in danger? And the love of my mother is what brought me here. What was the worst investment? Oh, there's a long list of really bad ones. Eva Longoria, welcome. So good to see you again. Good to see you. I miss you. I haven't seen you in years. That's true. I mean, I see you all the time on TV. I, I hope this is better than on TV. Yes, this is much better. <laughs> so let's start with your new series. It's called Searching for Mexico. Yeah. It launches this month yeah. on CNN. Why'd you take on the project? Well, this is a spinoff from the very popular Searching for Italy show right. hosted by Stanley Tucci. And he called me and he said, hey, we're looking to do another country. Um, he knew I was a big foodie. He knew I was a, a cook. Um, and he knew I was Mexican-American, a lot like him, he was Italian-American. So he was like, I'm, I'm so tied to my culture even though I'm American. And so I, I kind of straddle that same hyphenate. And I said, well, we should absolutely do Mexico. I mean, Mexico is jewel of uh, culinary cuisine. I mean, it is just a special country. And, uh, and he was like, great, we did the research, and then uh, we ended up shooting it. For me, it was, a, it was like a dream. I was like, I get paid to eat my way through Mexico. <laughs> well, <laughs> case in point, in one episode, you go to the Yucatan, where you see how the Mayans cooked a whole pig hundreds of years ago. Yeah. This is like a very important part, marinating, so all the spices and flavor can penetrate into the skin. The marinated pig is entombed in a steel box before being put in the oven, which is literally a freshly dug hole in the ground. What do you call the oven? What is PIB? PIB. That's why it's called cochinita pibil. Pibil is like pib style. Pib style. It starts with wood, and then we put these rocks on top, and, uh, well, just cover it with the branches. Uh, Now we're going to start burying it. Yeah. And uh, that's eight hours later. (laughs) (laughs) You say this journey, this Mm -hmm. series, made you fall even more in love with your roots. Yeah, it did. You know, a lot of people 
associate Mexico with tacos and tequila and tacos and tequila. And they do that very well. <laughs> I'm a tacos and tequila kind of girl. But it's so much more than that. And like this clip, which was in the Yucatan, um, the history told through food as well. Like the pig was brought over through colonization. There was no pork, cow, dairy, sheep, nothing like that in the Americas. I mean, the Spaniards brought that over during colonization. And so you see the dietary um, makeup of their cuisine change dramatically after colonization. And then you see how it's been incorporated and adapted into indigenous seasonings. And it's just beautiful, beautiful storytelling through the food. Um, and so every episode, every state, every city, every pueblo we went to was a story that blew me away, but blew me away. There wasn't a day I didn't cry about somebody's story. Well, meanwhile, as if that weren't enough, you've also directed your first feature film called yes. Flaming Hot, yes. which is the story of a Frito-Lay janitor named Richard Montañez. Yeah. We were practicing the pronunciation <laughs> we were practicing beforehand. Chris's Enyes, and that was <laughs> yes. very good, Chris. Who played a big role in the creation of the hugely popular Cheetos brand, Flaming Hot. Yeah. Here, here's your work as a director. Ow, 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 burns. Burns good or burns bad? Oh, oh, we did it. Oh, yeah. Of course we did. <laughs> Very well directed. Thank you. So as you know, there is some controversy mm -hmm. about how involved this gentleman yeah. was really in the creation. Why did you want to tell Richard's story? Well, because it is Richard's story. We're not telling the history of the Cheeto. Um, we're telling Richard's story, which is compelling and inspirational and, and motivational. Uh, and, you know, this guy shouldn't be alive, much less successful. And the adversity that he has overcome in his life. I mean, the Flaming Hot Cheeto was one of the many things that has happened in his life. And, uh, you know, he spent 42 years at Pepsi, uh, moved his way up as a janitor into an executive. I thought, you know what, I want to bring this story to the big screen, to a wider audience. He's Mexican-American, and I was, I'm Mexican-American, and I thought, I don't know this story. How do I not know this story? We have very few heroes in corporate America, in, in, in that particular um, industry. And for somebody like, like a Richard Montañez to succeed in that corporate forum is really remarkable. And so I think, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it, and, and this movie will be seen by many. You have said several times that you're Mexican-American, and, and what I find so interesting, you're one of the most famous Latinas in this country, in the world, uh, but I, what most people wouldn't know is that you're ninth generation Texan. Yeah. And is it true that you didn't learn to speak Spanish until you were in your 30s? My 40s. You're 40. I'm, so, so, I'm 112 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Only in dog years. So the question I have is, why has this become so important to you to celebrate, to honor and celebrate your heritage? It's, it's always been part of my DNA. It's not like I, I one day woke up and said, you know what, I'm going to be proud 
of my Mexican heritage. I, I am proud of my Mexican heritage. It really defines who I am, who my family is. Um, and growing up in Texas, you know, my family was under five different flags without ever moving. And, you know, we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us right. several times. <laughs> and so for me, you know, we have this immense pride in our in our Mexican heritage and culture, but also in our in our Texan culture. We're proud Texans and we're proud patriotic Americans. And I think a lot of Hispanics, specifically in Texas, feel the same way. Um, but when you're in this country, you know, I'm I'm. When I'm in America, people go, oh, you're Mexican. And then when I'm in Mexico, they're like, oh, you're the American. <laughs> and so it's like we don't fit in anywhere sometimes, and we have to create our own identity, which is, you know, this hyphenate that we sit on top of. You call yourself Texican. I'm a Texican. <laughs> there, there you go. All right, let's do a little, go back a few years. You got your first break mm -hmm. 20 years ago when you were cast on a very popular soap opera, The Young and the Restless. And here is... Oh, God, don't show a clip. Are you going to show a clip of that? <laughs> Would I do that? Roll it. Isabella. Yes, Paul, it's me. You're alive. How? What are you doing here? Where is Chris? Well, when I was dumped here? in the lake and left for dead, I managed to swim to a nearby island where that? I found a cabin. Oh! What are you doing? Where is Chris? Where is Chris? Listen to me, she's, she's dead! <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe you found that. <laughs> so what I find so interesting, though, is that you were so determined not to be a struggling actress mm -hmm. that at the same time that you have this part on a big soap opera, yeah. you're working as a headhunter for yeah. a temp agency out of your dressing room yeah. in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, when I moved to Hollywood, I had my bachelor's degree, and so when I told my mom, I'm going to be an actress, she was like, well, she was fine because I had graduated college, like as long as I finished college. And so I knew I could get a job. I was like, I'll get a job. And I went to a temp agency, and they hired me. And I was so good at it that when I got Young and the Restless, it didn't pay enough for me to live off being an actor. So I continued being a headhunter and uh, uh, Young and the Restless, and I would hide the fact that I was on Young and the Restless to my clients because they, you know, they didn't want like a dumb actress handling their accounts. And one time, one of my clients was like, "You look like a girl that I've seen on a soap opera." And I go, "No, that's not. I don't know who that is." I, 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 I don't, you know, I was like the opposite of a publicist's dream. I was like, "Don't tell anybody I'm on that show," because I was, you know, still making more money on my day job. Crazy. And then the role that made you a household name, Gabrielle Solis, in the big hit, and it was a big hit for a bunch of years, Desperate Housewives. Yeah. Here's a clip. <laughs> Let's face it, Gabby, buying more stuff isn't going to make our lives any better. Exactly. Money can't buy happiness. Well, sure again. That's just a lie we tell poor people to keep them from rioting. Gabby. It's a joke. Lighten up. Oh God! No. You were you were a little naughty, weren't you? You were horrible. Oh, I don't, Gabby couldn't say the things today that she said then. Yeah, I mean it was a very provocative show. I, there were so many things that I said and did that I was like, oh my gosh! I think you know that really was a global phenomenon. I remember going to London. Uh, 
and there was all these people outside the hotel and I asked the driver, I was like, who's here? <laughs> like, Bono? Like somebody right, important right, right. must be here. And he was like, you. And I did not understand how those people could have lined up just to come see me or, or Felicity or Marsha. Like it was really surreal and, and fun at the same time, but it was really crazy that it was so global. Like going to China and they knew my name and going to you know, India and they know your name. You're like, this is, this, this, the show traveled far. <laughs> and you say that that's really where you learned the industry. And in fact, yeah. it was after you got that role that you formed your own production company. Yeah, yeah. I used Desperate Housewives as my film school. I was always very, very curious about cameras and lenses and people and what does that guy do and what does that do and what lens is that? What do you mean you changed it? And uh, why am I in a mark? What's the boom? I mean, I was like that annoying kid who's like, but why? But why? But why? And uh, so I just, I just utilized every resource at my fingertips. I mean, I'm on a set 14 hours a day for a decade. If you don't learn something, you're not paying attention, you know? In 2016, you marry Jose Baston, who's a media mogul. Here's a picture of the two of you together looking very glamorous. And the two of you have a little boy, Santiago, <laughs> or Santi. Santi. So the question I have is, mm. what did that do to your life, becoming a mother oh. at 43? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, a late mom. Oh, my baby, my, my baby. Um, it, I mean, of course, it changes your life completely. But, you know, people go, oh, you, you have a child now. It must be so complicated. He's actually simplified my life because... I used to be the center of my universe, and so making all the decisions based on me and my needs and my wants was harder than now he's the center of my universe, and so it's very easy to say no to a lot more things. And when I say yes, I know it means a lot or it's very important. Um, if it's going to take my time away from my family, my time away from, from my son, then it has to be worth it or I don't do it at all. And so he's, he's really grounded me in... Um, how I spend my time and, and what's important to me. So for me, it's been, of course, life-changing, but for, in, a, in a very positive way. How would you describe yourself as a mother? Are you I'm, indulgent? Are you spoiling? Are you no, tough? No, I'm the discipline. I'm very tough. I'm a disciplinarian. I'm very loving. I'm very supportive. But when you say a discipline, disciplinary, we have a lot, like very, what? We have structure. We have structure. Bedtime's bedtime. You know, can't no candies, no candy. If there's candy, it's one. You know, if if he wants to play a game on the iPad, there's a time limit. You know, so it's not. Does he do chores? No. Yes, he he picks up his plate from every time he eats. He has to take it to the sink. He uh, prepares his meals with me. Um, he picks up all he has to do clean up. We call it clean up. He hates it, but he has to clean up. Um, but he's, you know, definitely, uh, I, I do it with a very, very big loving hand, but I have a lot of structure. Yeah. I'm, I'm a tough mom. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. 
celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. You're also deeply involved in politics, and you were very involved in supporting Barack Obama and supporting Joe Biden. Here is a clip of you speaking at the 2016 Democratic Convention. When Donald Trump calls us criminals and rapists, he's insulting American families. My father is not a criminal or rapist. In fact, he's a United States veteran. You are very active in trying to mobilize the Hispanic vote, to get Hispanics to go out and vote. Question, would you ever consider running for political office yourself? No. No, and especially in this m- moment of politics. It's, it's so divisive, and I don't see how um, there's faith in, in politicians in this moment. I can see where uh, voter apathy comes in because they, ugh, you know, not her, not him, no. Um, and for me, I really strongly believe the most powerful part of democracy is a citizen. We have way more power as a citizen than as a politician. You can do way more things as a citizen than a politician. They're held to a different bar and a different standard, as they should be, um, and they're failing to uphold that <laughs> that standard, I think, in this moment. But I, I, let me push back a little bit. I mean, you say that, and a citizen can do a lot, and you've done a lot, but I mean, it's obvious just from this conversation that you're smart, you're thoughtful, you're reflective. I'm not going to become the leader of the evil Longoria campaign, but aren't you exactly the kind of person, and also representing a particular segment of the, of the population, who you could, we could see in public life? Well, I think that's the main thing is I'm, I am uh, uh, an activist and an advocate for many things and many causes, but I don't speak for Latinos. And I think that's what politicians get wrong, is they want to speak for people. I speak for women. I speak for Latino. I don't do any of those things. I encourage the communities to speak up for themselves. And if you see, you know, Latinos are pretty factioned in, in political ideology. There's a lot of conservative Hispanics. There's a lot of liberal Hispanics. Uh, so it's, it's, it's hard to unite the Hispanic vote. It's hard to define what is the Hispanic vote. But I will say what I do and what I try to encourage politicians to do is not knock on our door every four years with a taco truck and, and try to get our vote. Don't say our vote matters when our lives don't matter. You have to engage in these communities every day, not every four years. I want to pick up on exactly that point and put up some numbers because these are quite striking. In the 2018 midterms, 69 percent of Hispanics voted for Democratic candidates for Congress, while 29 percent voted for Republicans. That's a 40 point margin for the Democrats. But in the last midterms, this past November, the margin had dropped to 60 percent for Democrats and 39 percent for Republicans. So it went from a 40 point margin pro-Democrat to 20 point margin. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we are seeing this swing? It's still predominantly Democrat, but seeing this swing among Hispanic voters towards the GOP. That is an interesting uh, data to look at because 
if you see anything that came out of the 2022 midterms was was it was not a choice for uh, the right. I mean, right. We, we we held on to Congress. We held on to right. the Senate. I mean, yeah, we had losses, but like it, it, if you saw who was presented to you on the right, people chose not to vote for that. And even Fox News did a beautiful <laughs> report on the fact that the results were disappointing, right, for the right. Um, but what I think what that says is, you know, our vote is up for grabs and it depends on the candidates and it depends on your state. It depends on your county. You know, what happens from state to state and county to county, whether it's women's rights, voting rights, voter suppression. But, but you say the vote is up for grabs, Eva. What is it that the Democrats are missing that some Hispanics are now saying, you know, maybe I've got a place in the Republican Party? Well, I think the number one issue for all Americans including Latinos, which Latinos are Americans, is the economy. That's the number one issue. People think our, our number one issue is immigration uh, or abortion, um, and it's jobs and, and economy. And, and I think, you know, there's a party that speaks better to that. I'm not saying they have a better track record. I'm just saying they have better, uh, a better marketing plan, I think, <laughs> because I think, you know, the Democrats have done a, uh, some, so they've done some progressive things in, in when it comes to creating jobs. And if you look at small businesses, which is the creation of most jobs in the United States, Latinos create jobs for, create small businesses four times the national average. Latinas specifically, six times the national average. So who's creating the jobs? Our community. We're creating a lot of jobs and, and a lot for this country. And so I think they're looking for somebody who has the business solution, the economic solution to their pocketbook, to their, you know, their monthly bills. Who's going to help me? And so when Republicans talk about lower taxes and less government spending, appealing. that's attractive. I think it's attractive. Yeah. I think, you know, some, a lot of the talking points for both sides are very deceiving. And I think, I think you, it is very hard. You know, we did a, a, a study as to why there were so many eligible Latinos that didn't vote. And we found it was a confidence gap. They don't feel confident going into a voting booth and voting for the wrong person. They didn't know, like, maybe I vote for the wrong person. Maybe I'm voting against my family's interest. I don't know enough. I feel like I have to have a political science degree to go into the voting booth. It takes me hours, me, Eva, hours to fill out a ballot. You know, imagine that ballot in front of somebody who's never done it before with all the X's and O's and, and all the measures and the judges. And, you know, and I research it and I look and I see who's for it and I see who's against it. And then I call my friends and if my friend's a nurse, I'm like, why are the nurses, why is the nurses union against this? She's like, well, this is what they're doing. And I said, but it says that it takes me hours. So imagine everybody having to do that. It's very confusing and it's, and it's set up that way. And I think it's unfair to, to disenfranchise communities like Hispanics. Beyond the acting and beyond the directing and beyond the politics, you are also a businesswoman. You've got your own tequila company called Casa del Sol, as well as a cookware line called Risa. Mm -hmm. So what's all that about? <laughs> well, I love to cook and I love to drink. <laughs> so like, what but other can, people, do, they don't create their own product. What can I do? Let me tell you, COVID drove me to cocktails. Uh, I was a big wine drinker, and during COVID, I started, you know, experimenting more with spirits. And um, at the same time, I was approached by Casa del Sol, which is a beautiful brand that has a lot of women 
in key positions in a predominantly male industry. Our master distiller is a woman, which is very rare. Our uh, uh, president is a woman. Our operations in Mexico is led by women. And so I thought this is really groundbreaking in, in an industry that is still very machismo and very um, patriarchal down in Jalisco. Uh, I wanted to support the women behind this brand. And Casa del Sol was also one of the only tequilas that came to me with the idea of being Mexican forward, right? Like if you look at all the other people doing tequila brands, it's like another white male or, or American that has gone down there and is you know, really exploiting the region for its resources and not giving back and not pouring back into the region. And Casa del Sol was one of the first brands that I saw really wanted to preserve the art of tequila making, the storytelling and um, the mysticism of how it was born with the goddess of Mayuel and, um, and really you know, honor everything that Mexico gives us in that, from that region and from the people of Jalisco. And if that weren't enough, you were also paying it forward with the Eva Longoria Foundation, mm -hmm. which helps Latinas through education and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Yes, I started my foundation when I got my master's degree in, in Chicano studies. And my thesis was um, really an exploration of like what, how could I have effective change in a certain community? So I knew it was going to be with the Latino community. And then when I zeroed in on what what was needed within the Latino community to, to prepare the future workforce of America, I, I focused in on the women. And so my foundation does a lot to um, support young Latinas, not only to get a higher education, but after that, uh, to, to get career, not a job, a career. How do we put them on a career path? Uh, and, and a lot of Latinas, like I said, are very entrepreneurial in spirit, but they don't have access to capital or they don't have the resources um, to understand how to run a business. And so the Eva Logoya Foundation provides that infrastructure of opportunity. You know, we're going to build that bridge for you. It's up to you if you cross it, but the bridge will be there. So acting, politics, business, foundation. Mom. Mom, not mom, to Santi, <laughs> and a strict mom. A very tough strict mom. mom. I'm a tough mom. What's next? Um, what is next? Sleep. I'm going <laughs> to sleep a little bit. Right now, it's, you know, it's all about uh, searching for Mexico. I hope people enjoy the show, and I hope people look at Mexico in the way that I see Mexico. It's a beautiful country with beautiful people, an amazing culture, and it's a food destination. And I think people are going to watch the show and and kind of have a better understanding of the people who come from our country. Eva, thank you. Thank you. you are a delight. Thank you. you. And one really impressive woman. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have some of my tequila already? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you could send me a sample. I will. I'm going to send it There you go. Eva has another group called Eva's Heroes, inspired by her older sister, Lisa, who has a mental disability. It's an after-school program focused on enriching the lives of those with intellectual special needs. You can go to evasheroes.org for more information on how to get involved. Thank you for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next.